From inflation to the rising cost of health care, in today's economic environment, many patients may delay or choose not to move forward with recommended care because of the cost. By accepting the Care Credit credit card, you can help more patients get the care they want and need without delay by offering a convenient way to pay for coinsurance, deductibles, and care not covered by insurance. Plus, when patients use Care Credit, you receive payment in two business days, helping to increase cash flow and reduce self-pay receivables, enhance the patient experience, and help increase satisfaction and loyalty with Care Credit. For more information or to get started, visit carecredit.com/mgma-podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor of MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Today, we welcome Jasper Talarba to the show, as well as Laura Setliff Whitaker, um, Jasper's Chief Executive Officer of Apex Global Partners. And Laura is President and Chief Operating Officer at Apex Global Partners. Um, they are here today to talk about why hospital systems need to think out of the box and seriously look at international nursing recruitment as part of the solution to this worsening nurse staffing shortage. I know our listeners uh, are well-versed in that. They know about that um, nursing shortage. So we're going to talk about that, talk about that from the perspective of how do we um, move forward with bringing in some international nurses. Also, what is the education level? What kind of training is required? Uh, so they can have that onboarding process as well. So Jasper, Laura, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you so much for the invitation, Daniel. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So I'll start with Jasper and researching your background. I see that you are a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives, a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing, a graduate of the Doctor of Nursing Practice Program. Um, and I'm just going to stop there because it just keeps going on. You have a very long and distinguished uh, resume, Jasper. So tell us a little bit about your background and what got you passionate about healthcare in the first place. And then we will uh, touch base with Laura as well. Sure. Thank you so much, Daniel, for that. Um, so, yeah, basically, um, I'm a foreign educated nurse. I came here in the United States about 20 years ago. And since then, I've been in different leadership or, or um, nursing positions from a bedside nurse and, and different leadership positions as well. But basically uh, what got me interested and in really look into and get involved into the healthcare industry is that the United States workforce and, and, and the economic uh, status of the United States is pretty much driven by the healthcare system. It's even in 2023, it's now the top most industry that leads the U.S. economy uh, beyond even the retail or the manufacturing and the tech. So um, considering that, I think healthcare industry, whatever happens to the healthcare industry in the United States, uh, we have a lot of input and, and say into that. So uh, as a nurse myself and, and Laura also, we have kind of the, the obligation to make sure that we contribute positively to this particular sector in, in our uh, society. Okay, thanks for that, Jasper. Laura, I wanna to turn to you and uh, 
you also have a very distinguished background. Um, you have, I think, the entire alphabet almost after your name. And so I want you to share with our readers some of those highlights. Let us know a little bit about you, your background in nursing, um, your current uh, status in uh, as an executive. Um, so just tell us a little bit about yourself, Laura, so we understand who we're talking to. Well, thank you, Daniel. Um, yes, I have been a nurse for quite a long um, time. And I think that's one of the beauties of nursing is that you've got um, opportunities. And what we see now for nurses, it was just dreams when I first started in nursing school. So uh, yes, I, I am a nurse. Um, I do have my master's in nursing. I am a family nurse practitioner and a nurse midwife. Um, and I also have a master's in public health from Johns Hopkins. And I would say that right there was probably the turning point for me um, because I think that was the first time that I was really ever exposed to um, global health care. And um, so from there, it, it looked like I, I still worked in the U.S. Um, with the Baltimore City Health Department, but I became very interested in global health, particularly looking at nurses and their role internationally. I was very fortunate to have worked at uh, the Peace Corps in various roles. And so uh, it was during my time um, that we were in the DMP program, Jasper and I were colleagues that we kind of came up with the idea of really supporting nurses internationally. Mm -hmm. And so um, we kind of decided that we would start the company. And um, I have to say that this has been one of the probably best um, experiences that I've had uh, working with internationally trained nurses. Okay, thank you so much, Laura. So uh, Jasper, I'm gonna turn back to you for a moment here. We're gonna take a deep dive into the nursing crisis. We're gonna talk about nursing leadership, nurse training, et cetera. But first, just give our uh, listeners an idea of who Apex Global Partners is and why you and Laura uh, looked at forming this organization in the first place. Sure. So um, like what Laura said, uh, she and I met, we were classmates at Yale uh, University for our doctorate program. And at that time, you know, we have been talking and you know, our, our passion is in global um, nursing. Uh, she is from Peace Corps and I'm from, you know, uh, I have a, a Fulbright scholarship from the Middle East. And at that time, our passion is really into the global health arena. And so we, thought about what can we do with the nursing shortage in the United States. And we all know that the you know, uh, United States has a critical shortage of nurses specifically. At the moment, we have about 2.1 million nurses short. By 2025, we're expecting about 2.8 million nurses short. And the recent study from, or recent survey from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that the growth of the nursing industries actually about 6% per year or about 203,000 more every single year. And because of that growth, there will be about 3.6 million nurses that the United States will be uh, critically short 
by 2030. So we are looking about seven, you know, uh, eight years from now, we are really going to be in dire need of nurses. And there's a lot of factors contributing to that. One of those is the age, average age of the nursing workforce. Currently, the average nurse uh, that's working at the bedside average um, age is 52 years old. So we're looking at, you know, a, a decade and these nurses will be retiring soon. And we are not generating enough nursing graduates to fill in this position. So even without the shortage or the growth of the industry, we are already looking at the workforce with the a retirement. We can't even fulfill this, fulfill those needs. So how much more with the, the growth? So that's why when we looked at that projection, Laura and I, you know, really thought about what can we do to really support the industry, to, to support the profession. And uh, since she and I have been really involved with the global health uh, work, we looked at the international healthcare recruitment. And I myself is a foreign educated nurse. I came originally from the Philippines and I'm very familiar with the intricacies of the immigration process as well as the regulatory process. I also worked at the Commission on Graduates of Foreign Nursing School or the CGFNS International, which is the organization that vets all the educational uh, credentialing for foreign educated nurses. I was the director at that time for about five and a half years. So uh, with that said, I, I'm, I'm really equipped with the knowledge and skills in looking at the qualifications of foreign educated nurses who would like to migrate and practice their profession in the United States. So that's pretty much the precursor of why Laura and I really considered about putting up the company and look at the uh, possibility of recruiting foreign nurses, foreign trained nurses from different countries, uh, not just the Philippines, but also in, you know, maybe India or even in Europe, who would like to practice their profession in the United States. Um, so to speak. So, so yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Jasper. So Laura, I'm going to ask you a question because you said you've, you've been a nurse for a while. You've been on different sides of uh, that nursing side of healthcare. Um, I have read about the nursing shortage in the workplace for quite a while. One thing I've not seen in context, and I wanted you to give us some context here, are there, do we need, is it that we need more nurses because of this aging population in the US? Or is it that we have fewer nurses in nursing school than we did 20, 30, 40 years ago? Or is it some combination of the two? Excellent question. Um, I would say that it's definitely a combination of both. Um, Nursing school is hard. Uh, nursing school, uh, it will challenge it will challenge an individual in many different ways. Um, so um, we, but it's important to be able to train nurses who are qualified to work in hospitals. And um, I guess where most of my um, experience has been recently is public health. And I know there's a lot of discussion in, in terms of um, preventive um, healthcare and that, but um, also that the aging 
of the nursing workforce is definitely a factor. And I think COVID has compounded that. I was uh, detailed when uh, at the beginning of COVID. And I know the first week or two, it was when we started hearing the word COVID, COVID, well, there really wasn't much there. And then all of a sudden it was like a tsunami hit. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that, that was, I guess, a challenge that uh, we never anticipated. I know um, in public health, you have tabletop exercises, but uh, as, as a country and really as a world, we were not prepared um, for the pandemic and all of the implications that go along with that. And it, um, I know I lost uh, several nursing um, colleagues to COVID and um, it, it, it was hard uh, for the nurses to go in and because, and they had to, to do all the care, but also provide all the emotional support um, dealing with families, dealing with death. Um, there were just a whole lot of uh, different areas that really taxed the nurse. And you reach a point where, as, as a nurse, um, where it's like, okay, I've tried, I've, I've given my best. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like I said, I would say that it, it, it is a combination of a lot of factors. Okay. And I would like to piggyback on what Laura said about COVID-19 and how it impacted negatively the nursing workforce, because it's really important to highlight that even before the pandemic, we were already critically short, right? And this pandemic has just pretty much was the bomber of, of, you know, it was a nuclear bomb pretty much of this whole nursing uh, shortage. Uh, We have lost, and I'm talking about lost, that means that nurses who were already in the workforce resigned or worked in a different industry. So from 2020 to 2021, we lost about 100,000 registered nurses. They left the hospital workforce and they either you know, just stopped working or they worked in another profession because they were tired about working short in the hospital setting. They were frustrated about the inability to deliver quality care. And it was just pretty much negatively affecting uh, the whole the, their health and their well-being as well as their family. So all that compounded, I think it it actually you know left them frustrated of keeping to work, even though they love their job. They they were frustrated about you know having to keep their job and affecting their their you know their mental health negatively as well as their family. And there was also a recent survey done on COVID-19 and its impact. And it was found that around 52% of nurses are still considering leaving the current position. So we're not done yet. Um, so we're calling this the great resignation. You know, if there was a great depression before, there's uh, a stage right now where we call the great resignation because nurses are leaving or have left their position are still considering leaving the profession. So we really have to uh, do something about uh, the the nursing workforce because we all know that the nursing and the nursing profession is the largest sector of the healthcare, right? There are about 80% of the entire healthcare industry, healthcare workforce are within nursing. So if you look at the whole big pie, 80% of that is 
has something to do with nursing. And if we have 50% of those healthcare workforce leaving, that's a big a red flag. It's huge and it is a cry. It's at a crisis level. So Jasper, you shared with me a report from the American Association of Colleges of Nursing. It examined the nursing shortage through 2030. You were talking about that a little bit earlier. Let's take a, a little bit deeper dive in there. What are some of those data points? What are some of the uh, findings from that research that really stand out to you that you want to share with our audience? Sure. So the AAC and the American Academy of uh, College of Nursing is pretty much in charge for the nursing education in the country. They are looking at the nursing education as a whole. How are we supporting the healthcare industry? Are we graduating enough nurses to practice in the profession? And it's frustrating, you know, if you look and, and ask different stakeholders, especially the nursing leaders, they are frustrated that we are not even equipped. The nursing schools are not, should not say equipped, but they, we don't have enough manpower to even educate the nurses that are willing to enter into nursing school. Um, I don't know if you know this, but last year alone, there, we turned we turned away 10,000 students who would like to enroll into nursing program, not because you know, we don't have nursing students interested, but we don't have enough faculty and we don't have enough clinical settings to accommodate all these students who would like to go and push the nursing program. So if we have a nursing shortage and we don't have enough faculty and, and, and infrastructure to accommodate and teach these nursing students, and therefore we are turning them away to become nurses, then how are we solving the problem that we have? We, we, we definitely are not. So that is why the, the AACN is saying, by looking at the data and say, hey, we have this 3.6 million nurses short by 2030, but in the meantime, we're turning away 10,000 10, students every year. It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. So. I know that we're going to look at some uh, ways in which we're going to think outside the box here, um, but just in addressing the the just this basic level that you're talking about of not having the faculty in place in y'all's organization, are you looking at ways to address that issue, or have you read other about or other organizations that are looking at addressing just the faculty question of this. So we're not turning away 10,000 a year. Laura, you're laughing. So do you wanna share some thoughts with us here? Actually, that is why I'm sitting in the PhD program. Okay. Um, I have a DMP and most of my experience has been in the clinical setting and um, I think here again, working with Jasper and really delving into the issues that face our profession, I realized that, and one of my mentors, uh, Donna Deers said, Laura, it's time for you to give back. And so I never forgot that. And so um, I entered the PhD program in nursing education about a year ago. And uh, that's a challenge because um, coming from a clinical setting and a background, um, 
education and research is very, very different. But uh, here again, um, there are programs that are, um, are in place. And like Jasper is in the EED program, I mean, EDD at Columbia. Mm-hmm. So um, he, he's, he is also in nursing education. So um, I, I, I think having those types of pathways for um, nurses with um, experience, I think that's a plus. Right. for our profession. Well, y'all are putting your time and money where your mouths are because you're addressing the issue, at least on a personal level, but just structurally, we've learned so much about remote learning and remote work and other things of that nature. Now I know as a nurse, you need to be hands-on. Are there any facets of these uh, nursing programs where they can be taught on demand or remotely just so you people can help with this this crisis that we're uh experiencing right now well so so nursing uh as we all know is a very hands-on right profession yes. and unfortunately the regulatory bodies would not even accept anything that's virtual uh, there yeah. was one point that some states i think california has said or at washington dc but one of the states said well if you have like 25% of the time spent or a hundred percent of the time spent on, you know, virtual simulation, we'll consider 35% of that as counting towards your hours, which is not really much. So it, it doesn't really, you know, help. But thankfully we are now in a, a stage where students are back in the clinical settings. We can now go back to our clinical sites and whatnot. But uh, to talk about your, your, um, Point on the nursing sh- or faculty shortage now, we there's a lot of factors, like what Laura said, there's a lot of factors affecting why we are short of faculty members. One of that is obviously the, the remuneration and the financial aspect to it. We are not paying faculty uh, nurses enough to stay okay. in their position. They rather, after obtaining their master's degree, they're pretty much qualified to teach in a nursing program, but they choose to stay in the practice setting, like a hospital or a clinic, because it's just the difference of their salary is just staggering. There's no way that you can entice a faculty member to, you know, after getting their PhD or their their master's degree to stay in a salary where they're earning the same salary as their student who just graduated. And it's an insult, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, an average nurse right now earns about 77,000 a year. And the average faculty in a nursing school is offered about 75 to 80,000 a year. So if you look at it, a newly grad nursing student pretty much earned the same as a faculty. Right who has a master's and has several experience. So if I was a a nurse who has a a graduate degree, I'm gonna be staying in a a practice setting because I have my personal needs as well. So this is the reality of it. I know there were some uh, uh, Senate hearing, I don't know if you heard about the Senate hearing uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago where they really looked into why we cannot retain faculty and it was discussed you know, extensively why we need to pay nurses more. But um, the other thing that I wanted to to really point out is that nurses who have graduate degrees are really also a problem. 
currently there's only about 14% of the entire nursing workforce who has a master's degree. And only 1.8% of the entire nursing has a doctorate degree. So 1.8% out of the entire nursing workforce. And, and that's not something that, you know, we, we can be proud of. We are currently working as a profession, working on that. But like what I've said, it, it's hard because it, there's a lot of motivation, a lot of work for somebody to go back into a graduate program and do the work. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Well, we have a topic here that we could have a 10-part series and still probably <laughs> only be scratching the surface. So... What I want to do in our remaining time, I know that, uh, Jasper, you've experienced this coming over to the U.S. Uh, internationally to work in the nur nursing workforce. So I know that one of the things that y'all had suggested was uh, for healthcare, for health systems, for hospitals, for medical practices to look um, outside the box, to think outside the box when addressing this crisis. So let's Let's take that deep dive for our final topic we're really going to address here is uh, that international workforce, bringing nurses over, kind of give us, give us the basic overview there about how it works and then how, frankly, how health systems can get better at adopting uh, that practice to bring nurses over here. Uh, so talk about that, uh, Jasper. Do you want to start here and then we can sure. uh, bring Laura in here as well on this topic? Absolutely. Um, so we talked about the nursing shortage, how critical we're short. And unfortunately, nursing leaders and, and our stakeholders within the healthcare industry are just somehow like, a, you know, a horse with their, you know, uh, uh, blinders on. They don't look at outside the box. And I, I don't know if it's purposeful or it's just they don't know about the other alternatives. And that's why I think this, this podcast is important to kind of highlight what are the other options that, that we have to resolve or mit mitigate this problem that we have at hand. And recruiting internationally for healthcare uh, professionals is something that's really, I shouldn't say like a, an easy thing to do, but it's mm -hmm. doable, okay? okay? It won't happen overnight. It won't happen like in, in months. We're probably talking about a year or a couple of years, but still, if you if healthcare executives do something now, in two years from today, they will be looking at healthcare uh, professionals coming in steadily from internationally. And we have a lot of wonderful healthcare professionals. I'm not just talking about nurses, but we're, I'm talking about med medical technologists. I'm talking about uh, physical therapists who and other healthcare professionals, allied healthcare professionals who are very much qualified and skillful to provide the same uh, level of expertise as they would with the domestic trained healthcare professionals. So mm -hmm. if they don't have the knowledge on how this is done, you know, certainly Laura and I will be willing to, you know, give them a prob, you know, a, maybe a, a webinar on how healthcare recruitment for international healthcare professionals is done. Uh, what could be the different visa or the routes that can be taken for to bring in these healthcare professionals to the United States. And, and let me just say that it's really worth it because you cannot generate enough nurses. If, if the United mm -hmm. States already have this X number of nurses that they can graduate, there's no way that you can generate enough from nothing, right? You mm -hmm. have to look out 
other alternatives such as recruiting from international uh, pool of, of uh, professionals. Right. Um, quickly, but I want to provide you to, to, to provide some context before I turn to Laura here, but we hear about the nursing crisis in the U.S. It, is there a global nursing crisis or are we going to be taking nurses from other <laughs> short nursing shortages uh, that uh, countries are experiencing and then yeah. leaving them even more with a deficit? Or is the U.S. the only country with the nursing shortage? <laughs> no, no, no. It, that, um, it is some, that is something, the brain drain, that I, poor Jasper, that I have had to wrestle with. I'm, I mean, on a personal level, mm -hmm. because um, here again, I was feeling um, really guilty thinking about, well, I'm going to take the nurses from one country, but is but are the nurses needed in that particular country? Right. And so um, what a what Apex is is will be doing is for every nurse that we place in the U.S we will be providing scholarships, nursing scholarships to the schools that they come from, mm -hmm. but also other areas um, globally, like uh, we have a connection with a physician who can help with nursing scholarships for Ukrainian refugees. Um, I, I work, on, um, I'm on the board with, of a small NGO uh, with Oscar. And um, we um, have our first nursing student um, in a school, but the plans are to take funds and be able to support nursing education, and that's in Uganda. Okay. Um, so you know, uh, we're we're also we're thinking in terms of uh, how what we can do to give back globally, um, and uh, we are planning on uh, working with nursing schools. Um, so that that's the plan. And I think sometimes that's a little bit different from other recruiting organizations. And the motto of um, our company is nurses helping nurses. Okay. Uh, Jasper can speak to, um, I think the nurses who are educated in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you look at the shortage of uh, nursing opportunities there. Uh, when we were talking with the, some of the nurses, um, they could, could not get positions. So they're forced to go outside of the country. I think Jasper's much better at explaining the conditions. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Laura, for, for the uh, flag of the company. Um, I just would like also to address what Daniel said about, are we recruiting from countries who that are already short of nurses? And my answer to that is, is no. Um, currently, we have to look at where are these you know, international educated nurses are going? So these obviously are the countries that are the destination countries, we call it, right? The destination countries are mostly members of the OECD countries or the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development countries, which are about 38 member countries, and these are more affluent countries like the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, New Zealand, and what have you, right? So those are the rich countries, which are the destination countries. Um, the United Nations being the, the entity that kind of oversees the whole global movement have issued like the amber list of countries that are a no recruitment zone, 
meaning okay. that countries that are really, really short of nurses and therefore no recruitment of nurses are allowed. So these are the countries like the, you know, uh, Ethiopia, Madagascar, uh, Senegal, Sudan, Ito you know, uh, what else, uh, Mozambique, those countries are on the red list or the amber list, they call it. So we mm -hmm. do not recruit on those countries. Uh, some countries that are, you know, crying wolves, and it's like, for example, in the Philippines, I'll say, well, we're really short of nurses. And it's more complicated than that. There's really no shortage of nurses. There are underemployed nurses, but there's no, you know, uh, there's actually more nurses um, in the Philippines. And it's just that the government are not willing to open positions for them. So there's no shortage of nurses. It's more complex than they actually are, uh, want to make it appear like. So like what I've said, you know, Apex Global is recruiting in countries that are green in the green list of the United Nations. And uh, definitely we're not going into the amber list uh, countries. And uh, like what Laura said, we have implemented some steps or, or uh, scholarships to make sure that we uh, kind of replace those numbers or, or nurses that we take um, and to give back. Okay. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are just scratching the surface here and we need to have you all on the show again to address even other issues here. But what I wanted to do is give you all the floor a blank canvas uh, for a final question. Laura, I'm going to start with you. You can talk about anything on this topic you want. You can talk about what it means to what kind of training uh, international nurses would need to come into the U.S., maybe some of the challenges or roadblocks there or how to get over those. You can talk about nurse leadership, education, anything you want, and then we'll turn to Jasper for a final thought as well. Uh, thank you very much. Um, what I would like to share is the... Um, when Jasper and I um, started the company and we started getting applications um, from nurses or nurse resumes, and so we reviewed the resumes and then we talked with every single one of the nurses that had submitted their resume and were interested in moving to the U.S., um, and to be honest with you, Daniel, I was amazed at the qualifications. And I have to say, I probably had my U.S.-centric um, blinders on thinking that we have the best and we have the most. And uh, a lot of the nurses we interviewed from the Middle East. And I mean, they were, um, I mean, skilled at... Um, and understood, under, understood the concepts of quality. They understood um, they were working in the ICU and were working with the latest equipment, um, medical equipment. Um, and that, I mean, I, I, I was just truly amazed at the caliber of the nurses um, that were applying. And so I don't, um, I feel very comfortable with the fact that they are qualified candidates who want to come into the hospital to work, to the ICU, to the CCUs. They're doing that internationally at magnet hospitals. It's, you know, certified hospitals. And so that, that is probably the last thing that I would like to say is I, I'm just amazed at the caliber okay. of the candidates. Okay. 
Jasper, I told you I was going to give you a blank canvas, but um, <laughs> I really want to zero in on one piece of this. So Laura was explaining how being amazed that uh, they're highly qualified candidates. So let's paint a picture then for a health system. So they're not looking at the uh, international want ads or whatever, how, yeah. however, whatever job bank, how is Apex um, facilitating this process? How do you coordinate it with a health system or a hospital or a practice? So they're not out there spending their precious time, their low bandwidth to begin with um, in trying to treat patients. So they're not out there doing the whole job search thing. What, how do you facilitate that? How do you make that happen? Yeah, and thanks for that uh, question, Daniel, because I think it's very important. And the beauty about this, you know, because MGMA has a lot of, you know, network of medical practice, you know, executives and administrators. And I think it's important for them to know the resources that they have. And if they don't know yet about how to, you know, look into international recruitment of healthcare professionals, certainly Laura and I are willing to, you know, give that information to them. We're not going to charge <laughs> anything for, for that information. We're going to do a webinar for their, you know, human resource or their uh, C-level uh, executives about the information that they need on how to bring in foreign educated nurses and allied healthcare professionals. And Apex Global, I think it's unique because we have the, the know-how on, on how these things are done. As I've mentioned earlier, I have uh, spent like five and a half years as a director for uh, CGFNS International, and I understand the nuances for the regulatory bodies on how, uh, what are the different uh, qualifications and, and the hoops to jump in order for these nurses to come into the United States. And based on my experience as well as a foreign educated nurse, because I've you know, gone through the journey of, of coming in and applying for these different uh, regulatory bodies, I think I, I'm in a unique position to really understand and to share the experience that I have had on how this process is, is done. Obviously, the immigration uh, rules are, cha you know, have, are changing you know, mm -hmm. so often, but we have within our company a, an immigration lawyer that we can also you know, uh, touch base and, and uh, provide information on what are the recent uh, you know, immigration laws that are happening that could impact all this. But let me just say that for level setting or expectation, the recruitment of nurses can take a while, as I've mentioned. Uh, the average time for a nurse to bring into the United States is about 18 months. So that means from the time that we apply them to the U.S. immigration for a green card visa, meaning that they are a nurse and they are on an EB3, it's about 18 months to about two years. Sometimes, uh, you know, if they get lucky, maybe, you know, uh, 14 months, 15 months, but the average is 18 months. But even though it's that long period of a time, if they prepare now, definitely in two years time, they're looking at more nurses coming in. And like what Laura said, these nurses are highly qualified, highly trained, and, and some of them are actually coming in from countries that have, you know, high technology, such as, you know, the UK or uh, Saudi Arabia. So they have been exposed to the, the type of technology that we have here uh, domestically. Okay. Well, Jasper Talarba, Laura Setliff Whitaker, Thanks so much for joining us today. I, I, I feel like we're only scratching the surface here, but thank you all so much for talking about uh, nursing and this nursing crisis. So thanks so much for uh, being here with us today.
Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Insights Podcast. Again, thanks to Jasper Talarba. Uh, He's Chief Executive Officer of Apex Global Partners. And thanks to Laura Setliff-Whitaker. She is President and Chief Operating Officer for Apex Global Partners. Um, And thanks for listening to the MGMA Podcast Network. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership.